0: Welcome, Nexus Church Family Online, to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us... Go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back to another week in our series in the book of Mark. In this series, we're taking a look at the life of Jesus and applying. The truths that we learn from Him to our personal lives. Last week we examined the end of chapter 10. We wrapped it up with a very interesting uh, interaction between Jesus and a blind beggar. We applied what does healing look like to our personal lives. And we understand after last week that, that healing is more than just physical healing. Jesus truly wants to make us whole in our whole being our physical our emotional our mental our relational he wants all those to become whole but ultimately our wholeness is only found through our spiritual connection with him that is where wholeness is found and so we realize that though we could have everything beautiful and perfect on earth all of our relationships being perfect our physical being just whole. Our our mind and our emotions being absolutely the best that you could ever imagine. That could be the case, but that's so temporary. Our Our wholeness is found in Jesus. And until we find that in Jesus, everything here on earth is just broken and incomplete. And now we get to chapter 11 this week. Now we are skipping a very brief little section in there that we covered on Palm Sunday last year where we examined Jesus coming into Jerusalem with people just worshiping him and praising him and just giving him ultimate glory, right? And so he gets to the temple in that exchange between him and all the people and he looks around and he sees his father, father's house not being taken care of the way it should. And because it was late, he decided that it was best for him to go and to get some rest. And So they go back to a neighboring town and the next day he wakes up and we come to the text that we have today where we see this strange interaction between fig trees and those who are selling things in the temple. And so let's begin by reading Mark chapter 11, verse 12. The next day, when they went out from Bethany, he was hungry. It was, assume it was morning, and so he was hungry like we all are, right? But then, seeing in the distance a fig tree with leaves, he went to find out if there was anything on it. Logical. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves for it was not the season for figs. And so he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Whoa. (laughs) Okay. So you just cursed a fig tree, Jesus. What good does that do? Where are we going with this? Well, before we continue on to the next scene where he's in the temple, I do believe that there's some importance to this, not just That Jesus kind of got angry and did something weird, but we have to understand that in this context, now I'm not a fig tree expert, but from those who understand fig trees and commentaries that, that take this out for us and help us understand, this fig tree, though it was out of season, it gave the appearance as if there was fruit on it. In short, let's put it this way, leaves on a fig tree equal fruit. On a fig tree. It gave the false impression that there was fruit. And for some odd reason, I, from what I understand, some fig trees can give early fruit. So Jesus logically thought that, hey, there's early fruit on this fig tree. I'm hungry. I'm looking for some tasty, fresh Like, first of the season crop, this is going to be awesome. And he goes to it, and there's none. But as other commentaries put it, this is coming from David Guzik and and some others that just bring this to life. Chuck Smith is another one that I read, and some Tyndale ones. There's so many cool little things that, that I've never seen before in this text that if you're interested, you can go do some research. But according to these experts much more expert than me, they state that actually there was a point Jesus was trying to make with this. Not only, most likely, did he see the fruit and want to enjoy it, but there's a point behind it. You see, the day before, as we just understood, Jesus went to the temple and he's seen exactly what he was anticipating. People disrespecting God, his father. They were doing things in the temple that were not right. And so he used this little object lesson, real life object lesson, to point out the fact that the religious elite had the appearance from afar that they were producing fruit for God. But as one got closer and examined their life, they would quickly realize they were far from God. He was preparing his disciples for what they were about to see. It was as if Jesus was like, yeah, I'm I'm the meek and mild Jesus. I'm the one who's caring and gracious and patient and loving with sinners. But these people... They know God, but yet they are so far from him. They have fallen, and their fruit has gone with them. So continuing on, early in the morning as they're, oh, sorry, back to verse 15. They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables on the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple, right? You meant business. He was teaching them, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. This is coming from Isaiah 56, 7 and Jeremiah seven, eleven, Quoting from scripture, I have a passion and a zeal that the whole world would know the glory of God and come and worship him. You guys have ruined it. You've ruined it. The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. I love how Guzik put it. He said the temple area was filled with profiteers who were working in cooperation with the priests and robbed the pilgrims, right? People who were coming from a long distance. They had to purchase everything right there in order for them to sacrifice appropriately in the temple. They were taking advantage of them. And then they had currencies that were at inflated prices, So not only were they having to purchase everything there, their their way of going from their currency to the currency in the temple was inflated. It wasn't an equal, your dollar equals our dollar. It was inflated. They were taking advantage. Jesus looked upon this and he's like, this is not the way of God. You're selling things in the presence of God. You're corrupting it. You're inflating it. You're taking advantage of the poor and becoming richer. This is not what my kingdom is about. So he got rid of it all. He got rid of it all because he had a passion for the nations to hear of the good news, of the grace and mercy of God. In short, corruption replaced God's presence, and Jesus had enough about that corruption replaced god's presence what are we seeking after our glory the beauty of our church the pat on the back for what we've done good in the community how we present ourselves on social media where's our heart at are we willing to serve and not get recognized? We look like Jesus, act like Jesus, worship like Jesus. Well, as we approach the end of the passage, Jesus goes back to the fig tree. Right? So every evening we left off. Whenever evening came, they would go back back to Bethany. It was almost as if they knew if if we stayed in Jerusalem in the night, they'd come and find us. And so they went to a private place where nobody knew where they were, and they spent the night there. And so then the very next morning they come back and they see the fig tree again. Early in the morning as they were passing by, verse 20, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots up. And Peter remarked and said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Wow, huh? I mean, talk about these guys had to be a little miffed. Like they hadn't connected the dots between what Jesus said earlier. Like you were given a false impression of fruit. You are cursed. They had missed that connection with the fig tree and the religious elite. But instead of focusing on that, on the lack of faith, on the lack of belief, on the lack of trust of the, of the religious elite, of the lack of fruit, Jesus went right to the teaching he really wanted them to get. Right? Peter's like, look, it's dead. Right? It's dead. they Their lack of fruit led to death. But Jesus, he spun it. And he gives us two foundational truths of what we can use in our personal lives to activate a move of God. Right? He didn't want to focus on death in this passage. Right? Death was about to come on the cross but still even in that we don't focus on the death so much as what it brings, it brings life it brings freedom and so Jesus instead of focusing on the, <laughs> their lack of fruit producing death he wants to help us see how can, we can have life how we can experience a true move of God in our personal lives and so he goes on and he says to them verse 22 have faith in god truly i tell you if anyone says to this mountain be lifted up from lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will happen it will be done for him therefore i tell you everything you pray for and ask for believe that you have received it and it will be yours Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you of your wrong doing. Interesting thought. Like, I just want to read it one more time. Verse 22 in 20 through 24. This is it's quite a statement. And I think it bears importance of reading it again to really process it he says have faith in god I get that I understand faith but truly i tell you if anyone says to this mountain be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart believes what he's happened will be done for him It was important in judaism to understand that that this thought of be thrown up and in, into the sea That This mountain that it's referring to is actually troubles or difficulties. I'd never heard that before until I, I examined the depth of what that meant in that culture. It was a trouble. So maybe we should replace that mountain, because it doesn't make sense in our world, with trouble. Right? If anyone says to your difficulty, your trouble, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done them that's a little bit more understanding like God wants you to experience freedom and if you believe that not that difficulties will leave you but you will have victory over them we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthen us we have the ability to be victorious over things that come against us right he continues on. It This is so good. We just got to slow it down and process it. Anyone who believes what he says will happen. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Now, this isn't saying, you know, like, oh, I'm going to claim a jet, and it's going to be mine. Like, no, this is talking about your life. About your life wholeness right jesus had just talked before about wholeness we covered it last week what does it mean to be whole it's about our relationship with god god isn't as concerned about our fleshly things he cares about who we are inside that's that's the whole bible It just centers around our heart it's not about what we believe or what we know it's about how it impacts us do we truly believe it do we truly trust If we want to have a move of God, we must trust for and hope and believe that what we are praying to, the God that we believe in, actually wants to move. Like, do we believe that? I I, I totally understand. I get it. I get it. That, That the last few years have been difficult we've experienced so much and we've lost that hope that things can get better we've lost that trust that God is bigger than all things that that in difficult seasons it's easy to lose that because we haven't seen proof of it we can't lose hope and Jesus he points back to those religious elite and says, The reason why they lost it was because they didn't act upon what they knew to be true. Right? They knew God. They believed in God, but it didn't change them. They didn't live that way. They put on a front to make it look like they were good. And now they're dead. That, that lack of proof of a life lived for me was removed now they're dead God has moved on from them and was looking for a new way Jesus Christ his own son you can trust and believe that what you pray for will unlock a move of God right When, when it's about him and for him for the betterment of those who don't know him you can know it will happen there's a wonderful example of this in James five seventeen and 18 where he points back to Elijah and how Elijah prayed and things happened there is one particular instance that we'll read right here where James writes Elijah was a human as we are that's important to state right away right like James is trying to tell us right here, James is no different than you. He was just like you. Struggled just like you. He had depression just like you. He went through seasons where he's like, I don't see a move of God. This, this is not good. So he, James was saying, I understand. You will go through difficult seasons where it's hard to keep fighting that belief in that hope and that trust in God he was just like you and yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall none fell for three and a half years right this wasn't just a flip up a prayer and yay it worked no this was an earnest seeking God is this your will God (laughs) right is this really what you want Because I don't want to miss this because if I pray for something and it doesn't happen because it wasn't in line with your character and what you want for your glory, for the good of your people, if it's not (laughs) what you're looking for and it's just me thinking my thoughts, I don't want to do it. Because there's not good things that are associated with that. First of all, you will look like a fool, God, because I'm representing you. Second of all, I know I'm going to lose the favor of you when I'm going outside of your direction. I want to know. So he prayed earnestly. Is this your will, God? I'm praying, and I'm believing. Because I know when I pray, my prayers will be heard, and you will move. Right? For three and a half years, it didn't pray. Now that's a crazy, crazy prayer. How many people do you know including yourself have prayed for a negative thing upon somebody else right there's a reason he prayed earnestly he prayed for a negative negative, an evil upon his own people including himself and it didn't happen and then reverse it right flip the script then he prayed again Sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield crops. Talk about a flip. That was good. He prayed. He prayed earnestly, and they were answered because he sought God. Earnest prayer. When we allow God to direct our lives, we can pray and trust God. seek Him. Pray. God will move. Then Jesus added this last little verse about one more thing that impacts the move of God. And it's just very brief, but it's also very important because it opens our eyes. Not only do we need to trust and believe, but we also must activate what we experience from God to others. So let me read. Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven will also forgive you your wrongdoing. Mm. Our forgiveness impacts a move of God. Think about that. Our forgiveness impacts a move of God. Now we see this very well in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. I'm sorry, in the chapter 18, in a fairly lengthy little section that I think bears reading the whole section because there's so much to it. But it's a graphic picture of this exact statement that Jesus just gives in passing. Maybe he expected his disciples to remember this, this example this parable that he gave at another time. This really expands upon it. So just briefly read it and then we'll apply it quickly. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many times as seven? Thinking that was pretty good, right? Jesus replied, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Like Jesus said, it, it, Your Father in heaven has forgiven you ultimately for all times, no matter how many times. Likewise, you do the same. And then he gives this story. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was sent before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this time, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Pay you back for everything. That's quite a bold statement considering he had gotten so far in debt. Impossible, right? Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave him the loan, right? Just paralleling exactly what we have with God right we owed him everything we could never pay him back right 10,000 talents was just like impossible it was as if this king was saying you're clear I know you'll never pay me back in full I'm having mercy on you that servant went out again representing us found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii he grabbed him started choking him and said, pay what you owe. At this, the fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back, right? Deja vu, right? How many people have sinned against us? Right? But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what he owed the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened, right? Went back to the king. God, king, did you hear what Joe did? Fred, Wilbur, whoever. He, you, you forgave him. An impossible amount to repay. And he went back and he almost killed a guy and then sent him to prison when he couldn't pay him back. We owe God everything. We can never pay Him back. He forgave us, cleared us, and then somebody did something evil against us. could be big, could be small, but we didn't give it back. We didn't didn't forgive them. We didn't do what was done to us. Then after He had summoned Him, His master said to Him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged Me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I mercy on you? Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also, here is tying it in. My heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. That. beautifully whenever you stand praying, verse 25 of Mark 11. If you have anything against anyone, forgive them so your Father in Heaven will also forgive you of your wrongdoing. A move of God is impacted by our forgiving others. It's important to understand we don't forgive. It displays what our reaction is from what God has done for us. It didn't mean anything to us. And that's a hard concept for us to, to tie together. But when we have been forgiven so much and are unwilling to forgive others, it's like there is something in God's world that just it cuts off His favor right it's exactly what happened with with a religious elite god had forgiven the land of israel so many times the jewish people had continued to sin against god and he forgave them, he f- forgave him and then they sinned and they forgave him and they sinned they kept going around and around and it finally got to the point jesus portrays it in his throwing the stuff around where they had just finally stopped doing what they were supposed to do it reflected their hearts They had never received God's true forgiveness. Maybe they did for a season, but then they went back. And God's saying to these people, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. You see, the move of God is influenced by our response. What we do inside of our hearts and then what we do with what God tells us to. and We trust God when we trust him. Religious elite, they refused to trust Jesus. And it was proven by their life and their fruit. They wouldn't forgive others. You can't come in here. You're a sinner. And if you even tried to, we're going to raise things up so high that there's no way you can do it. You're going to stay in that state you're in forever, and we're going to stay in our religious elite state. It was a caste system at its finest, if you would. God He's so gracious. He sent Jesus to break all that up, and for, from now until the end of our time on earth, until he comes back and brings us home with him, we can know that we can be right with him if we trust him believe in him and our hearts reflected by the way we live we want a move of god there's so many people who's like oh god's on the move god's he's he's going to do something awesome and i agree but i'm telling you today that that god's move is going to happen when god's people are willing are willing with their life that they can live according to God's standards. If we're going around like the religious elite putting people down and into a corner and not forgiving right? Put this in your own life. Don't think of the church as a whole but think of yourself. How are you living this out? Are you forgiving those who hurt you and, and have done wrong to you? I know I get it. I'm not saying forgive and forget. I'm saying, are you in your heart constantly, the best you can, forgiving that person? Because there's some people who've done some evil things to others, and it's hard to just forget it. Every day, it's a hard job to forgive somebody who's taken advantage of you. It's not easy. But when we have a reflective heart of, of appreciation for what God has done for us through Jesus and forgiving our evils, and we're trying as hard as we can every day to to put aside what our desires are and desire God instead right our flesh desires to 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 be angry at them to not forgive to have this bitterness and God's asking us to forgive them and when we truly are seeking God and living according to his plans and his ways, we will fight every day with the help of his Holy Spirit to forgive others and to truly trust that what what we long for in Him will happen if we ask for it. So, friends, today, one more time, a move of God is influenced by the response of our hearts and our trust in Jesus. God wants to move. Will you allow Him by your response? Father, I pray for those listening today. I know every single person listening is at a different place. And I know you care deeply and immensely for them. You want them to experience a mighty move of God. And so, Father, I pray. I pray that we don't become like the religious elite and stop trusting in you, stop believing in you, Stop forgiving like you. And that our hearts would be reflective. And that we once again would believe that you are on the move and that you can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And so, Father, we proclaim that right now. That whatever we are facing, we are more than conquerors. And we will stand up and we will live for Jesus. We will do whatever he asks and be obedient and watch you move. In Jesus' name. Nexus Church family, I'm believing for you. If, you. if you are experiencing anything right now, I encourage you to reach out to whether it's somebody you know personally that you can go to or you can contact our church. You can go to nexuschurchmn.com and all the information will be on there. and how you can get a hold of us and we would love to walk alongside of you as you experience a move of God in your life. We'll see you again.